What's that ring box? Oh, that is an engagement ring that I was going to give my girlfriend, Amy. What? You bought her a ring? No, no, no. This has been in my family for generations. No, except for a short time when Comanches cut off my great-great-great-grandmother's finger and stole it. Sheldon, that's awful. No, the uh, Texas Rangers tracked them down to their village and slaughtered every last one of them. It was a happy ending. For my nine-fingered nana. First of all, I just want to tell you what a great show you got. I listen to you all the time. Thank you, thank you. What do you want to talk about? Hey, did I tell you guys I got a coat? I believe firmly in the proposition that the Cherokee Nation and the government of the United States have a mutual obligation to exercise the rights and meet the obligations set forth in our treaties. That proposition is as true today as it has been for the last two centuries. As early as 1785, the Cherokee Nation and the United States are on the record concerning the development of a Cherokee Nation voice in the Congress. Today, we take the first step towards exercising our right to a congressional delegate and holding the government of the United States accountable for honoring that right. Little column A, little column B. Yeah, baby! (laughs) Hey, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we take a pause and thought about life and thought about the laws of gravity, treaties, the Cherokee Nation, the Constitution, Congress, politics, and or the news. Don't touch that dial. Just try to hear me out for a little while. Well, in 1835, the United States government managed to negotiate a treaty with the Cherokee tribe that replaced the previous treaty that was supposed to be in perpetuity. This time, the Cherokee agreed, air quote, air quote, to leave their ancestral lands in exchange for a lot of money and never come back. There were, of course, some issues with the treaty, like it was never really completely clear that it was actually the Cherokee Nation that they were negotiating with. But hey, why let that stand in the way of progress, right? What else is new? Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. It's 209-565-3283. The email dave at thedavebowmanshow.com. And of course, we're on the web... Choose your preferred non-denominational web search browser to take you to thedavebowmanshow.com or look for The Dave Bowman Show on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Ego Biberi Kapulis and Olive Verve. I drink coffee so that others might live. So you may have seen the news this week that the Cherokee Nation, as constituted today, is nominating a delegate to the United States Congress. And I got a couple emails about it, a couple texts. I even had a guy at work ask me about it yesterday. But, well, how does that work? Does that mean there's going to be 436 Congress people now? And since statute sets the limit of Congress at 435, if one of them becomes the Cherokee Nation, does that mean somebody loses? A congressperson? Well, all of that is, you know, worth a discussion, but the short answer is no. Uh, This would be a delegate, not a member of Congress. Currently, there are six delegates to Congress from Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, and a couple of the other territories, and I'm 
brain farting them right at the moment. So forgive me for that. But there are six, and this would be the seventh. They are non-official members to to Congress. They They do not vote on bills. However... They do get committee assignments, and as such, they can vote on the committee. So they do have some impact on legislative debate. So having a Cherokee representative in there is an interesting idea at, at the very least. And one of the things that you heard the guy, if, you, if you've heard this say, that this goes back to the Treaty of 1835. Well, that is, in fact, true. It does say in the Treaty of 1835 that it is stipulated that Congress, that the United States shall allow a delegate from the Cherokee Nation into Congress. But that's not, of course, not the whole sentence, nor is it the whole treaty. And how we got from here to there is, well, therein lies quite a tale. You might want to know. Sit back and relax for a few minutes. Andrew Jackson, of course, was the president of the United States, elected in 1828, and was well known as being, well, I guess the best way to put it is anti-Native American, anti-Indian. He had made his bones, uh, of course, in the War of 1812, but later on he was, uh, and even a little bit before that, he was, a, he was an Indian fighter. That's what he did. He fought against the Indians. And... Uh, seemed to take some sort of perverse joy from it, to be honest with you. He he didn't like the Native American tribes. He didn't like them uh, occupying what he considered to be American lands. And his entire administration's policy towards them was basically get rid of them. And in, in the mid-1830s, the early 1830s, in fact, in 1830, Congress, under his administration, passed what was known as the Indian Removal Act of 1830. And part of this was that the Indians, the, the what were known as the five civilized tribes, Seminoles, the Cherokees, the Creeks, the Choctaws, and Chickasaws, would be relocated to what was then called Indian Territory. Today, we call it Oklahoma. And thanks to the Supreme Court, we still call it Oklahoma. Although, i got to be honest, I'm a little disappointed by that. I, there, there's a part of me that was really hoping that, that the Native Americans would win that, just, just for the chaos purposes of it. But be that as it may, Congress dictated that all five of these tribes be relocated to the Indian territories to the west, and these lands be taken over by settlers in the United States. Why, you may be asking. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I assume that in Florida, there was just... Well, quite frankly, I can't think of a good reason to get rid of anybody in Florida. It's it's a swampland. But in Georgia, the story was slightly different. In Georgia, where the Cherokee lived in northern Georgia and kind of southeastern Tennessee, northeastern Alabama there, gold was discovered. Gold, of course, has caused any number of problems throughout history. And when gold was discovered there, it was quickly determined that most of the gold was on Indian land. This, of course, was problematic. So what do we do? Well, we've already got this treaty that was signed back in 1785, prior to the Constitution of the United States, that essentially, in perpetuity, tells the Cherokee specifically that they get to stay where where they are. And the United States government will protect them, keep them safe, 
and respect their lands and their tribal histories and all that stuff. But now there's gold in them thar hills, and that's a problem. Because the Americans want the gold. So how do you get the Indians off the land to get the gold? Well, you pass, like I said, an Indian Removal Act that did go through some debate, some discussion, but not not as much as you would hope that it would. The court systems were kind of uh, nonchalant about it, although the famous ruling that that it was unconstitutional and Jackson's response to that was, well, Supreme Court's made its ruling, now let them go enforce it. And of course, they wouldn't do that. In the midst of all this, a delegation was sent by President Jackson down to Creek Ter- or the Cherokee Territory, sorry. And for the purposes of our discussion, we're going to talk about the Cherokee. Uh, so they went down there to talk about what needed to happen, which was, you guys need to leave. And the sooner the better, because the sooner you get out of here, uh, the sooner these people can start, uh, you know, getting their gold. And, 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 and we want that because really, without that, we're going to be, yeah, there's going to be some problems in the election and blah, blah, blah. You get the whole idea here. The problem was that a lot of the Cherokee folk didn't necessarily want to leave, as you can imagine. Not because of the gold. I, I They didn't want to not leave because, oh, my God, there's gold here? We didn't know that. The reason they didn't want to leave is because this was their ancestral home, and they don't want to leave. This is ours. We have a treaty signed with the government in 1785 saying, this is ours. You're going to protect us. And now you're passing laws saying we've got to leave. The Supreme Court says those laws are unconstitutional, but now you're here to negotiate with us to leave. What the heck is the deal there? What? Come on. Something's not, something's not kosher here. Something's not altogether making sense, right? And in fact, this whole argument started under John Quincy Adams, the president before Jackson. Uh, Quincy Adams was on the Native American side. He basically told him, tough bananas, go negotiate with them. You know, buy the land, lease the land, whatever, but you're not going to just take it. Georgia started passing state laws to nullify that, and Jackson sent these people down there to negotiate, quote-unquote, with the Indian tribes. Now, the problem became one of confusion. While the treaty was signed in December of, of 1835, there is, I think that's the right date, right? December of 1830. Yeah, December 29th, 1835. Uh, the, the problem is that there was a lot of discussion about who exactly was negotiating all this and who exactly was authorized to speak on behalf of the Creek Nation. Sorry, Cherokee Nation. And who exactly was the government willing to talk to? The government position was basically, <laughs> we're going to talk to whoever, whoever's going to actually listen to us. We're going to talk to them. And we'll get an agreement with them. And as long as they're Cherokee, we don't really care if they're in charge or not, was, was basically the attitude that the, the government seemed to take towards this whole thing. 
And to this day, it's not completely clear that the people who negotiated on behalf of the Cherokee Nation were actually mm, authorized to do so by the Cherokee Nation, which had its own you know form of government. And what you know, you can say what you want about it, but they still have their own constitution and their own government. And it wasn't absolutely clear. Now, again, it might have been, but some of the people who disagreed with the treaty and weren't there to this day, well, they're dead, but their descendants still continue to claim that those people had no right to negotiate for them, that they couldn't sign this treaty and that the treaty is null and void because it wasn't actually negotiated, A, in good faith, and B, with the people that it actually needed to be negotiated with, right? You follow the drift here? But the government was happy with this. The government promised to pay the Cherokees a lot of money. Uh, And by a lot of money, I mean somewhere on the order of twice what we paid for the entire Louisiana Purchase. Okay? They promised to give them a lot of money. The Cherokee agreed that they would divide that money up. Each Cherokee member of the tribe would get an equal share of this money. And then the government, and remember, this is 1835, the government would fork over another half million dollars to pay for education, to make sure that the Indians had schools and had proper medical facilities and and, and that sort of things, and and they would be taken care of. And all they had to do to to, to get this money was agree to take up, stake up, get your land, get all your stuff, and get on out of here. And go west, go west to to Oklahoma, get out of here and go to Oklahoma. That's all you got to do. And we're going to give you a whole lot of money and we're going to give you a whole lot of stuff. The government promised. Oh, and by the way, just because we like you guys, we're going to write into Article 7 of this treaty, which is not very long. You can read this treaty in about 10 minutes. It doesn't take long at all. Article 7, though, says the Cherokee Nation having already made great progress in civilization and deeming it important that every proper and laudable inducement should be offered to their people to improve their condition, as well as to guard and secure in the most effectual manner the rights guaranteed to them in this treaty, and with a view to illustrate the liberal and enlarged policy of the United States government towards the Indians in their removal beyond their territorial limits of the states, it is stipulated that they shall be entitled to a delegate of the House in the House of Representatives of the United States, whenever Congress shall make provision for the same. So that's a wordy way, and it's one of those one of those things, and thanks to Pat for, for pulling that out from Pat. The lawyer pulled that out for me. I was having trouble finding it. And again, it's not a very long treaty, but it's been a long day, and I got to go to work this afternoon. <laughs> I was like, man, I can't see it. Where is it? And Pat found it. Anyway, the point being that this whole article is basically – fluff. I mean, it really, it's the kind of, you know, we're, we're, we think you're so great. You're so wonderful. You've made such great strides and, and, and we're so proud of you and we're so liberal and we're so enlarged in our policy that we're going to give you a delegate to Congress when, this is the part that the, the guy left out of his press conference the other day, when Congress shall make provision for the same. Oddly enough, you will not be surprised to learn that Congress, in its uh, <laughs> infinite inertial inability to move, 
has not done so. 200 plus years later, they still have not done so. And to that end, at this point, while we have a while we have a nominee for the position of Cherokee delegate to the House of Representatives, we do not, in fact, yet have a legislative move by Congress to allow such a non-voting delegate to become in. Now, I anticipate since the House is controlled by the Democrats, and there's really nothing to be gained by not going along with this, I, I anticipate that Congress would probably uh, make this move. And, and really, the president, well, I wish I could say for sure, I think that there are some political motivations for doing this now. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think I think that there are some, particularly since the nominee was a uh, an Obama administration, ad, you know, member. She was in that. She was part of the Obama team. I think that there are some political elements to this, but in the broad scheme of things, is it really a bad idea? I mean, we did sign a treaty with them back in 1835 saying that, yeah, we're going to do this. And then, of course, we chased them off their land. We said, you've signed this treaty. Um, you need to go because we want the gold and you're standing in the way and can't have that. Again, because of the nature of the negotiations and because of the unclearness as to whether or not there was actually an authorized a Cherokee Nation group there or not, it does call into question the validity of the whole treaty. I mean, it, it, you can't you can't go very far without finding those arguments. But the upshot of this whole thing was, of course, that because of the discussion, because of the debate, because of the argument over the the treaty itself, the validity of the treaty, there was a great deal of resistance to what was happening, and many of the Cherokee had to be literally forced off their lands in Georgia and physically moved to Oklahoma. And this is what is is subsequently known as the Trail of Tears. Then the Indian groups had to move one of three ways. They went uh, overland. They went all the way up north to Cape, Cape Girardeau, Springfield, and down into Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Or they took a water route, which, again, from Chattanooga, you could go all the way around down to Memphis, up Little Rock, the Red River, and Fort Smith, and then you're in Oklahoma. And there were some other routes as well. But it's one of the more shameful moments in our nation's history, this this trail of tears that that ended up with so many people, so many people dying, so many people leaving their homes and it's it's emblematic it's become emblematic in our history of the the treatment of 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 native americans throughout our history i mean basically every native american tribe in existence has some form of this tale whether you're talking about the cherokee whether you're talking about the comanche whether you're talking about the apache the sioux it doesn't matter they all so that we, we we we've all had this form of abuse in a way that, you know, we gave them our word and we gave them our treaty and we gave them our agreements and then there was gold in them, our hills, and we can't, uh, we, we can't abide by this anymore. Sorry, we're going to have to move on a little bit and you're just going to have to deal with it. And we've got more soldiers than you do, so 
off you go. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, there's a part of me that recognizes that history is what it is. And I've, I've known Native Americans throughout my history. Uh, my aunt was married to a full-blooded Cherokee, so I have cousins that are, are Cherokee and, and, and the likes of that. And so I've always had this kind of sympathetic eye towards the Cherokee Nation. I just, I just have. I was born in Oklahoma, folks. I mean, that's, that's where I'm from. I'm, I'm, I'm used to that sort of thing. But I also recognize history is, it is what it is, and you, you can't go back and change it. I, if I had a time machine and I could go back to, uh, to to General Jackson and say, hey, dude, you are messing up. Of course I would do that. Of course it would change the future and then God only knows what would happen then. But who knows? Maybe it'd be like the back to the future and I'd end up a billionaire. So it could be a good thing. Anyway, point being that the you can't undo it. And I've known enough Native Americans through my life who have a philosophy that you know, we took the land from someone else. Someone else took the land from them. And, 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 you know, there's this change, this wind of change, I think is the phrase that he used throughout history. And you're just the latest in the, in the people that have taken the land and somebody will take it from you someday. And, and then what? And, you know, it's just the way of, it's just the way of the world. And there are enough folks that have that, that, that I can look at it and go, well, okay, it wasn't fair, it wasn't good, it wasn't right, I can't do anything about it. Or can I? I think that this is one of those moments where we have an opportunity as a nation to look at this and go, okay, we, you know, there was a lot of hanky-panky with this treaty. I'm, I'm, I'm not pulling any punches, folks. There just was whether it was on the government side being willing to negotiate with people that liked us or whether it was on the Cherokee side of, you know, people that were thought that they were going to get all that money and they just sort of left the people that actually authorized to do it back home. Who knows? There was big snowstorms and everything that year. And maybe they just couldn't get out. Who knows? We weren't there, but we did sign an agreement that very clearly says you have the right to a representative, to a, to a delegate in the house of representatives. And Congress shall make the provision for that. And maybe it's time, and it's just my opinion, you can take it for what it's worth. Maybe it's time for Congress to say, okay, we, in the spirit of the modern woke world, when we're trying to right every wrong in history, this is a pretty easy one to make right, isn't it? We agreed to this. Let's. Pass a law allowing for that seventh non-voting delegate to be part of Congress. Give them a seat. Let them make speeches. Put them on a put them on a committee, and 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 let's go. Yeah, I get it. There's going to be politics involved. I I understand that, but it's one Congressperson, and it's they're not voting except on committees. Is it really going to make that big of a difference in the in the history of the world? I don't think it is. I don't. There are very few singular Congress people that have really changed history throughout things. I mean, there have been a few. I'm not going to argue that. But but as a general rule of thumb, can anybody name the delegate from Puerto Rico? I mean, anybody, anybody but Pat, the lawyer, because Pat, you'll obviously know. But, but anybody else? I can't. I don't know who it is. Guam? Anybody? See what I'm saying? 
it's not gonna it's not gonna change all that much. And it is a gesture of saying, you know what? The people that went before us didn't keep our agreements, and we recognize that. And there's there's a lot of it that we can't fix, but there's some of it that we can. And one of the things that we can fix is we agreed to this, and we should we should make it happen. And we should do it with great fanfare. I I would love to see, I would love to see a lot of you know brouhaha about it. Let's let's make a big deal about it. Let's let's let's. But what I'm afraid of is that the the Republicans and particularly the Republican are going to turn this into a political circus and talk about how it's a politically motivated thing. And again, I think there is an element of to that. I really do. I really think there's an element of. We don't like that guy, and so we're going to nominate somebody who's going to make speeches that she doesn't like that guy. And and I get it, but I think you could steal their thunder by by really by really uh, by really welcoming it. After all, don't we want to keep our treaties? Don't we want to keep our agreements? Don't we want to don't we want to do the things that we said we would do that our forefathers said they would do? And you know, we did push all these people into Oklahoma. And then we took Oklahoma away from them. I mean, for all practical purposes, we talked about that on Constitution Thursday a few months ago, where we took basically took Oklahoma away from them. It's a it's a long story of mistreatment and not keeping our agreements and doing those kinds of things. And here's an opportunity, I think, to uh, to right at least one of those wrongs and I'd kind of like to see it. I'd kind of like to see the Cherokee Nation get its delegate to Congress. I have not taken the time to review all the other treaties. I do not know if that provision was put into the other five, the other four tribes, the other four civilized tribes, as as they were referred to in those days. I don't know that it was. I don't know that it wasn't. It's very possible that it was. And maybe the Seminole and the Choctaw and the Chickasaw and the Creek want theirs as well. And if they have that in their treaty, then they should get them as well. Because constitutionally speaking, we empowered our government to make treaties. We ratified that treaty with a two-third vote of the Senate. Maybe we should keep our word on it. Maybe. It's just a thought. I don't know. I think it's an interesting story of how we got from here to there and watching that happen the other day was kind of intriguing to me and caught my attention. Maybe it did yours, maybe it didn't either. Who knows? But I do know this. We said we would and we should. There's really no reason not to. Other than Congress can't get off its butt. I mean, they haven't for 200 years. Why would they now, right? I I guess that's kind of the question. If they can do it without turning it into a political circus, then I think it would be great. I got to get going. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities you don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. This is my show, The Dave Bowman Show, right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Hope to be back tomorrow, but I'm not going to promise it. i got a late night working tonight, so we'll see how it goes. Have a great day, everybody, and we will see you next time right here on The Dave Bowman Show. Dave Bowman Show is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. 
For more information or to complain about how the show offended you, the text or voicemail number is 209-565-DAVE. For more information about the show, log on to thedavebowmanshow.com. Hey, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.